Hello and welcome to the tour of one of Shrewsbury's most remarkable streetscapes, Wild Cop. We're going to start you off on Milk Street and we're going to curl around to the right down towards Wild Cop. There's so much to talk about. This is a lengthy tour, but it's not a very long distance to walk. You're just going to learn a lot about the buildings in this area. We'll start with your back to Old St. Chad's, which you remember we did a great tour with Maggie Love there. So you can start the Old St. Chad's tour, then move on to Milk Street and down to Wild Cop. It's very cool. Your tour guide today is Nigel Baker, one of Shropshire's most renowned archaeologists, and he has some amazing facts for you today. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Just a note, please be careful of the traffic. Use the, the crossings that are supplied and stick as you go down walk up to the left hand side of the street because that is where we will be looking that is where our perspectives lie hope you enjoy this tour and i will catch you guys at the end okay welcome to milk street uh, it's uh it's not a street that maybe stands out in people's memories of Shrewsbury, but it's quietly, in its own way, just a classic of Shrewsbury town centre. So, to start with the ancient stuff, I've got my back to Old St Chad's, one of the very first sites developed in Shrewsbury, goes all the way back probably to about 700 AD, you know, just after the Dark Ages in the early Anglo-Saxon period. Old St Chad's was founded as a private monastery, we know, by the bishops of Lichfield. And I'm looking down Milk Street and on my right, I've got a, a, a couple of Georgian buildings, the Shropshire Trophy and Bowling Centre and a building that used to be an office where Belmont begins and just beyond that there's a, a modern brick church from the 1930s. Underneath those, if you were to dig them up, and God forbid you should be allowed to, but if you did ever dig them up, what you'd find would be the timber hall that had been built for the bishops of Lichfield around about the same time as they built their monastery. But that's long, long gone. You know, it's been replaced by houses and shops. And so with that, we're going to wander down Milk Street towards a second Anglo-Saxon monastery, St. Julian's, which I can see there at the bottom. Okay, and we're now wandering down, slowly down Milk Street, looking at what appear to be Georgian buildings. But of course, this is Shrewsbury. So if you've got a building that looks like a Georgian brick building, chances are if you go inside, it's going to turn out to be timber-framed and going back to the Tudor period or even back to the medieval period. So Sea Suns, a restaurant here on the left, looks Georgian on the outside, but be assured it's really a timber-framed building. We're going past the hairdresser's shop on the right. That looks like a mid-Georgian building, maybe from the 1740s or 50s. And then just beyond that, we're reaching the frontage of the old post office, which is very definitely timber-framed. And we know a little bit about that because some research has been done on the old post office uh, in the last 30 years. It was uh, restored, all the buildings there were restored about 30 years ago. So we know, looking at the building on the street front, hairdressers, uh, we have tree ring dates for that. So that we know that the bottom part of the building was built in 1566. That's when the builders cut the timber down. And it was built for a wealthy wool merchant, a man called George proud 
but we also know that the top story with the gables facing onto the, the street, that was added about a century later because we've got tree ring dates for that of 1655. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a little diversion off to the right and we're going to go into the old post office yard, have a look behind the frontage where an interesting discovery was made about 30 years ago when the buildings were all restored for their owner. So here I am standing in the old post office yard looking at the, the white painted pub straight ahead of me but over to the right there's yet another timber frame building and its distinction is that nobody knew it was there until the 1990s when all these buildings were restored for the, the then owner, a guy called Michael Cockle. Um, and its other distinguishing feature it, it's, is it's a medieval building and it's the last building in Shrewsbury to be built using the techniques that timber frame buildings had been built with over the last couple of hundred years of the Middle Ages. Because what happened in Shrewsbury was that uh, there was a lot of money in town between about 1400 and the 1460s. And then in the 1460s, there was a depression, a really severe depression, which lasted for almost a century. So between the 1460s and the 1560s, very few new buildings got built anywhere in Shrewsbury. Uh, the economy was bad, population levels were kept uh, suppressed by a series of epidemics. I have to say this isn't terribly good news to 21st century listeners, but the, the result is that you know you have a lot of uh, timber frame buildings from the medieval period which are easily recognisable as such and then when building resumes you get a whole new wave of a new design of buildings from the 1560s onwards. This one has tree ring dates of 1477 and it's the last new shop because that's what it was. It was a shop that went up before uh, the long-term economic depression really put an end to all new building projects in Shrewsbury Town Centre. Back out onto Milk Street now, and we find ourselves opposite the Wheat Sheaf Pub, which is, of course, yet another timber frame building. But I don't think anybody knows anything about that because nobody's had a, a look inside it yet. And then over on my right, there is a, a cafe and a bar on the ground floor of a shop built in brick and stone. Uh, and that was built in about 1890 but as an archaeologist I can't help feeling a bit sad about it because I know that until that building was built on that site stood one of the old Shrewsbury guild halls and it was the trade hall of the Shrewsbury shearmen who were a very very skilled set of craftsmen who um, ran a lot of things in town through the Middle Ages when everything was about the cloth trades and the medieval shearman's job was basically to take newly produced cloth which had a kind of like a furry finish to it before they got to work and they used large pairs of very sharp shears to very very precisely reduce the nap of the cloth, take the kind of furry surface off until you got like a fine hard smooth finish and then it would be ready 
ready for sale. But they were a skilled craft guild, they were essential to the economy of the town, and they had a stone hall which stood on this site until almost the end of the 19th century, when this admittedly quite fine uh, brick and stone building was built with a medieval look to it. But of course, as an archaeologist, I just want the old one back. Okay, and we've now got to the end of Milk Street and standing looking at the traffic on the High Street crossing from right to left and straight ahead of us is a sign saying the St Julian's Centre uh, and that is basically announcing St Julian's Church. St Julian's basically um, has changed gender and back in the Middle Ages it was founded by one of the later Anglo-Saxon kings, St Julianus, female, and St. Juliana's uh, had a parish which was really, really specific to Wild Cop, which is coming up in a moment. And it was all about the street going down to the river and to the English bridge crossing the river at the bottom of the street. So there have been some more recent changes to St. Julian's Church. The church itself was uh, 13th century until it was rebuilt by the Georgians. So what you now see is a mostly Georgian church, but the stone tower at its west end goes all the way back to about 1200 AD. The churchyard, once upon a time, had a row of shops along the front of it. Uh, but these were taken down in 1789 when a decision was made to make the gradient a bit easy, easier. So the level of the roadway here was lowered by a couple of feet just so that horses and carts and stagecoaches and pedestrians didn't have st such a struggle up the steep hill from the river. So ground levels here have, have been reduced. I was standing with my back to St Julian's Churchyard, looking to my left and the beginning of a street known as Wild Cop. Now, Wild Cop, as a street name, is one of those Shrewsbury specialities. It's like, what on earth can a, a street name like Wild Cop mean? And the answer is nobody's completely sure, but the best bet is that Cop is, in origin, uh, a Welsh word, uh, and it means the top of a hill, and people who know their Victorian history may have heard of Spion Cop in uh, South Africa, which featured in a battle, and that was a mountain top. Um, and it's a, it's a universal word which uh, tends to mean head or top. And the while is the best bet is that it refers to some kind of winding engine. And the thinking is that sometime back in the Middle Ages, maybe in the 11th or 12th or even the 13th century, there was some kind of windlass at the top of the hill because it was steep enough that heavily loaded horses and carts needed a bit of assistance to get up the gradient. Nobody's completely sure, but at the moment that's the best bet for the origin of the name Wild Cop. And in the Middle Ages, it was the, the street was known by three distinct names. So we're standing on the top of the cop, the top of the hill. The, the gradient, the main street, is known as Wild Cop. And at the bottom, when you get down to the floodplain where the ground is flat, it was known as Subweiler or Under the Cop or the Bottom of the Cop, which is what local people still call it to this day. Now standing at the traffic lights at the top of Wild Cop, where Dogpole comes in on the left and Wild Cop 
winds its way down the street towards the English Bridge. And in my humble opinion, this is one of the finest streetscapes you'll find anywhere in an English town. It's just this classic mixture of important Georgian buildings, a wonderful set of medieval buildings that is hard to equal anywhere else in England. And there are some where it's a bit of a surprise, but this is Shrewsbury, so of course there are surprises. So, on the left, straight across the traffic lights, there is a group of really fine-looking Georgian houses set back behind a quite wide pavement with bollards in front of them. But, of course, this is Shrewsbury, so what you see is not at all what you get. Uh, and you might be surprised to find that all of those buildings, in fact, date to the late 1920s. Uh, and that's because the junction at Dog, of Dogpole and Wildcop used to be a really awkward one of the buildings sticking out uh, and it was a nightmare for traffic so they widened the street and the borough engineer of the time was a guy called Arthur Ward uh, who was one of the first conservation specialists to come to Shrewsbury and to love Shrewsbury and to look after its buildings uh, and when he supervised the demolition of the old buildings on the street frontage he made sure that the new buildings he built were worthy of the town and worthy of this street so the first one two three four five six shops on the left at the top of Wild Cop are all the work of Mr Ward and he's still spoken of with reverence by the conservation architects in Shrewsbury Town Centre. We're standing at the top of Wild Cop looking down the street with its fantastic mixture of Georgian and medieval buildings and we're going to start by looking at the Lion Hotel on the right hand side of the street going down. It's one of the most famous Georgian buildings in Shrewsbury Town Centre, quite rightly so because of its importance to the Georgian town. I mean in social terms, not just architecturally, because that is where the centre of social life in Georgian Shrewsbury really happened. You know, lots of land-owning families. It's the world of Jane Austen. Everybody comes to town for the season when you've got the races going, the law courts are operating. So all the lawyers are in town, all the county landowners with business are in town. So, of course, what have you got to have? You've got to have a ballroom. You've got to have, you've got to have county balls. You've got to have an assembly room. Anybody who's even heard of Jane Austen knows all about the kind of the Georgian town scene. That all happened in the Lion Hotel the assembly room is still there at the back. The Lion Hotel was built or rebuilt in 1775 to 1778 for John Ashby, the owner by local architect William Haycock. And you can see, you know, enormous Georgian building, but wrapped around a medieval timber frame building left, strangely enough, right in the middle of a frontage and they've put a few Georgian Gothic twiddly bits on but you can see the way the jetty projects out over the pavement, the overhanging upper story but it's a medieval building wrapped with a big Georgian building wrapped around it. And whenever I look at the entrance to the Lion Hotel car park on the right of the Lion Hotel frontage, I'm reminded of the stories of some of the fearless coach drivers uh, who, uh, you know, drove the stagecoaches coming to the Lion Hotel and they were famous for not slowing down as they came up the hill. They would sort of whip horses faster and faster and do basically a handbrake turn 
going through that really quite narrow archway uh, into the back of the hotel where the passengers got out and probably breathed a sigh of relief. OK, we've now come past the Lion Hotel. Immediately downhill from it, we're into a slightly different territory, one that's characterised by medieval timber buildings on both sides of the street. And on the right-hand side of the street, immediately below the Lion Hotel, you've got one of the finest timber frame medieval buildings, I would say, anywhere in the country, not just in Shrewsbury. It's grade one listed for that reason. Uh, and it's called Henry Tudor House because the local legend is that uh, Henry Tudor stayed there the night before the Battle of Bosworth in, on 40, in 1485. And I did wonder if that was true or just one of these attractive local legends, but all the historians tell me that it's very likely to be true. And Henry Tudor House at that point would have been about 50 years old because we know exactly when it was built because we have tree ring dates from it. So we know that the front of the uh, Henry Tudor House, what you can see looking over Wild Cop, uh, was built in 1430 to 1431 and it's jetted, it's overhanging on two levels and it's one of those very rare houses where you've got tracery in the windows, very uh, intricately carved wooden windows, the kind that you're used to seeing in stone in churches but here it is done by carpenters in timber for a wealthy merchant. And because the records of medieval Shrewsbury are so good, we even know who that wealthy merchant was. In fact, it was a guy called Nicholas Clement, uh, who was a very wealthy brewer. But he didn't just brew things. He was a kind of general entrepreneur and businessman, had his uh, fingers in all sorts of pies and was a wealthy guy. And if you cross the road and go down Barracks Passage, through the archway under the middle of Henry Tudor House, you will see more ranges built for him. Uh, the one on the left down Barracks Passage, we've got tree ring dates show it, showing it built in 1426. The kitchen that serviced all of his buildings uh, is now a restaurant that's on the right-hand side of, of Barracks Passage and the whole lot, the way the, the timber buildings are grouped down this curving alleyway on a plot terraced into the hillside is just a classic of an English medieval town. Right, we're now standing at the bottom of the Lion Hotel looking at Henry Tudor and beyond Henry Tudor there is another timber frame building and beyond that there's yet another timber frame building and there all of more or less the same date, which we know both from the architecture and from the tree ring dating. And they all date for very early years of the 15th century, very early 1400s. And there's a reason for that, and the reason lies in one of the great disasters, which most people have long forgotten about, uh, which hit Shrewsbury in 1393, which was the Great Fire of Wild Cop. And what happened was that Working on the roof of Old St Chad's at the top of a hill were a couple of plumbers, lead workers, who had a brazier to melt the lead. They let the brazier get out of control. Sparks flew up, set fire to the roofs of surrounding properties. It burnt out every house on Wild Cop. Most of the houses in St Julian's Parish where we're now standing and the two lead workers 
ran in fear of their lives, pursued by the local population towards the river. They couldn't get across the bridge, so they tried to get across the ford, the gravel ford, the natural ford immediately below English Bridge, and they were drowned. And the coroner's accounts, the king's officials, just as they are today, the king's officials had to record unexplained deaths, so we have the coroner's accounts that record the circumstances by which these two men lost their lives, and that's how we know about the Great Fire of Wildcock, and that's how we know why there are so many buildings that all date from a few years apart. Just below Henry Tudor House, on the right, we have got this absolutely huge range of timber frame buildings stretching for about 60 metres or so down the hill on the right-hand side. That's known as Mitten's Mansion. And the word mansion is a little confusing because you think, oh, right, it's one huge, great, rich man's house. But no, it's a fa in fact, it's a classic of medieval Shrewsbury. It's a terraced row. It's a speculative investment. It's basically, it's a row of shops. And it was built by a member of the very well-known family, the Mittens, in probably the 1420s or the 1430s as an investment. And there was every effort made to get as much rental income out of a given length of street frontage as was humanly possible. And you can tell that you've not only got a row of at least six or seven shops on the street frontage, but if you look at the middle, there's an entry, there's a narrow alleyway going through to private property at the back, and it's got a like fancy entrance on the street. And if you look down either side of that alleyway, you will see lots of arched openings. They were even trying to get tiny shop fronts down the entry off the street as well as on the street frontage. They were trying to get shop units in every conceivable nook and cranny. A little bit further down, on the left, opposite Mitten's Mansion, we've got the Nag's Head, one of Shrewsbury's famous timber frame pubs. Again, it's a complex of medieval buildings. So, on the street frontage, the kind of a main part of a pub with the sign uh, it's got uh, jetties on two levels. It's got overhanging first floor and overhanging second floor. And once again, we have a tree ring date that tells us exactly the year the trees were felled. So we know that the front part of the pub was built with trees that were cut down in the year 1419. Standing in the alleyway, looking into the beer garden at the back of the pub, you can see the rather curious-looking ruins of a timber frame building, which is the hall. It's the dwelling of a medieval merchant which would have, who would have been responsible for building the whole plot, so he would have been responsible for building up the frontage. And we know, once again, from tree ring dates, that the hall at the back was built in 1422, and you can see all the curved timbers sticking out of this ruin, which immediately tells you that it's part of a medieval building uh, built in the 15th century. And as a kind of curious and sad story which goes with that, it was a very fine hall, carpentry was of magnificent quality, and it was all there into the late 1940s, very early 1950s, um, but in front of it was a corrugated iron shed with a bicycle repair business and the 
owner of a bicycle repair business, was getting worried about the state of a medieval hall behind his corrugated iron premises, so he complained to the borough council at the time, and the borough council said, well, we can't have a fully down medieval timber building threatening a viable business, so they demolished the worst part of the hall to protect the uh, viability of the business in the corrugated iron shed, which has, of course, long gone. We're now at the bottom of a hill, the ground is flattening out and on the left we've got the famous Tanner's wine merchants, you know, been famous wine merchants in Shrewsbury for, for many generations and of course they live in a fantastic timber frame building dating back to the late 1500s and early 1600s and we're at this road junction so off from the right-hand side of the bottom of the cop goes St Julian's Friars, named after one of the three medieval friaries that all existed outside the town walls of a medieval town. And Beaches Lane comes in over there as well. And the site of a town wall runs just behind the modern block of flats on the corner. And then we have 18th century buildings at the bottom of the cop, as it's called, on the flat ground, uh, going down to English Bridge either side. But of course, being an archaeologist gives you X-ray eyes. So what I see is not 18th century buildings, it's the fact that we've now actually reached the edge of the floodplain. And if we'd have been here a thousand years ago at the end of the Anglo-Saxon period, what we'd have seen would have been a minor river channel which flowed all the way along the bottom of the slope and passed under what are now Tanner's wine merchants and in those days if you needed to get across the river from Shrewsbury Town Centre to the Fourgate suburb, Abbey Fourgate as we know it, you would have had to have start crossing on a bridge right here. So were you to excavate under the street what you would find from Tanners onwards as far as the present river you would find the remains of a Norman bridge um, which was at least a thousand feet long and it didn't just go across the old two channels of the river it had to go across the floodplain and all its little channels too so all the floodable land basically if you wanted to get across it, you needed a bridge, and the remains of that bridge haven't been seen since about 1890, but it's there in the records, we know it's there under the street. We're now right at the bottom of the cop, just approaching the English Bridge. We've got mostly Georgian buildings either side, but the medieval period is still with us. You know, it's been kind of erased by the Georgians, but you can see those tiny little traces which make archaeologists very happy. So I'm on the left side of the cop and I'm looking through the entrance into the Wildcop car park and just for the eye of the, um, the real enthusiast, if you look at the ground surface where the cars drive into the car park, there are these arrows painted on the, the road surface telling you which lane to drive down. And then there's a little dip. It's only a couple of foot high, maybe kind of 70, 80 centimetres high, uh, about kind of 30 metres back from the street. And that little dip is of no significance to anybody except mad archaeologists to know that as you drive down that dip you're actually passing over the remains of a medieval town wall buried 
we know not how far, but not very far, below the surface. And at the back is floodplain and meadows, and up that slope on the street side there are backyards and houses. And finally, right at the bottom of Wildcop, we come to the famous English Bridge, crossing the River Severn on the east side of town, taking traffic over to Abbey Foregate, and you can see the tower of Shrewsbury Abbey looming just on the other side of the bridge and marking the far side of the floodplain. Ground levels here have been raised again and again and again and again, and if any archaeologist digs a hole anywhere around here, uh, he or she knows that you're going to have to go down five, six metres or so before you reach anything like a natural level. The bridge itself uh, is one of the works by a well-known bridge architect in this part of the world. This is John Gwynne, who built the English bridge, or rebuilt the English bridge, next to the old medieval bridge. He built it in 1769 through to 1774, and it stood uh, untouched until the 1920s when, with the advent of the first motor lorries and motor traffic on any scale, people were finding that the steep gradient up to the crown of a bridge was a bit too much and lorries were running out of puff uh, and stalling at the crest of the bridge. So the borough engineer, Arthur Ward, uh, came along in 1925-26 and he took the bridge right down to its footings, made it wider and flatter in the middle. So if you want to see what the original Georgian English bridge looked like, the best thing to do is to go about six miles down the road outside Shrewsbury to Atcham, where his bridge wasn't modernised, it was replaced in 19... His bridge over the river at Atcham was basically replaced by another bridge alongside it again in the 1920s, but the original Georgian bridge is still there, standing untouched, and you can see how narrow it is and how steep it is to get up to the crown of the bridge in the middle, and that gives you an idea of what the Georgian bridge, which once stood here, originally looked like. So our tour of... Wild Cop really has to end at English Bridge, which is the end of Shrewsbury Town Centre, but it ends, because I'm an archaeologist, with a question mark, which is how old are the bridges here? How far do they go back? When was the River Severn first bridged at this point? Now, I personally believe that I haven't got an atom of evidence for it that there has been a bridge here since the reign of King Arthur all the way back to the late 700s. But I can't prove it. But one of the remarkable historical feats of the old Mercian kingdom that ruled this part of Saxon England was that they had law codes that had, uh, which, which they developed to look after the interests of the state. And one of the duties that all local landowners had to perform, along with army service and building fortresses was when the king told them to they had to get their guys out and repair the local bridges the bridges over the Severn and over the Trent were fundamental to the security of the Anglo-Saxon kingdom and we know that there were a couple of monasteries in what became Shrewsbury town centre on the hilltops and I think that if we could travel back in time, right back to about 700 AD and uh, the, the, the reign of King Offa, I, I think we would find 
the first people building a bridge here to defend the interests of their kingdom. So that was our fantastic tour of Wild Cop with Nigel Baker. I hope you guys enjoy that. Um, now, just in front of you, across the English Bridge, we have a great tour of Shrewsbury Abbey, if you have it in you. I mean, that was a long tour, a good half an hour tour that we just did. So if you wanted to grab some lunch as I went to eat in, in between, please feel free to do so. Uh, but the tour of Shrewsbury Abbey starts at Flaming Great, which is a, a restaurant just underneath the, the railway bridge, the other side of the English Bridge. I hope you enjoyed this tour. There are plenty more to do throughout the town, and I hope you guys have a fantastic day. Thank you. <laughs>